What's up, church? How you doing? <laughs> Make sure you can see me. Oh, where is this guy? Where is this guy? So good to see you all. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're really glad that you joined us today. Uh, so a, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I got on a little bit of a, a certain genre of fiction book reading kick. Okay, And I started talking to a friend of mine who loves fiction books. For a while, I just read nonfiction, and, and I started getting into fiction books, and I started to find that I liked a certain genre. So I started talking to him about it, uh, and he told me a book that I needed to start with. I went to a bookstore, like one of those independent ones that, like, where the people who work there are like crazy about books. They love books. And they told me the same thing, and I did a little research online. They told me the same thing. And so uh, my ultimate goal was to uh, eventually, and I still have this goal, to write a dystopian genre novel like i love to write and so i would love to write but i figured i need to like really actually like know this genre to be able to write it so i started with the book that some of you have read i'm sure uh maybe sometimes in school or you skimmed it or you said you read it and you didn't and you just made some stuff up and you got an f uh but uh it's the book uh they told me to start with this for the dystopian genre 1984 Anybody read that? Raise your hand if you read it. If you're at home, raise your hand if you read it. Read it. Okay, okay, okay. So um, it's it was like written in like the 50s. So spoiler alert, you had enough time. I'm going to give you a little bit of the rundown of the book, okay? Um, 1984, George Orwell writes this book. And uh, the idea with the dystopian genre is that they, they examine social and political structures of the day. And they kind of take those things and they see where they are headed. And they kind of speculate fiction. They kind of speculate on where it could be. Kind of take it to the end, you know, to the worst point. And so uh, 1984, it starts out bad. Okay? It's really bad. And then it gets worse. And then it gets worse. And then at the end... It gets horribly worse. And that's it. Yay. Right? <laughs> Super exciting genre of, of a book to read, right? Uh, and, and that should tell you something about me because I like those stories and, you know, like all the, so there, there's just no good ending with the dystopian novels. Okay? Uh, contrast that with another uh, genre of books I typically read uh, are, are Disney princess books. Okay? <laughs> Now, you know, I just have to make sure that you guys have context for this. Uh, I don't just, you know, like, at the end of the day, make a, make a hot cup of, co- a cup of tea, you know, kick back on the couch after the kids are in bed and crack open a new Disney princess book. That's not how it works, okay? I know you guys are like, oh yeah, sure, and, uh, that's what you like. Uh, but no, I read these to my two daughters, okay? Before bed. And the thing with Disney princess movies, or movies and books, is no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it gets, it's happily ever after in the end. You, you just know. Like, you just know that it's going to get good at some point. Even with Beauty and the Beast. You know? Stockholm Syndrome, I think is what it's called. Um, she falls in love with her captor. Like, that's a thing. And I ruined Sarah, uh, Sarah's experience of when we went to see the live-action Beauty and the Beast movie. Because I was like, hey, you know, that's just like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, she fell in love with the Beast who captured her. And, like, don't look it up. For those of you who like that movie, I'm sorry. I just ruined it for you. But it is kind of a thing. I don't know if that's what Disney was intending, but that's kind of what happened. Um, but no matter what, it's a happily ever after, right? Belle was super pumped. Like, she was excited. Whatever, right? Uh, so Disney princess movies, no matter how bad they get, it's good, right? They, they happily ever after. So, like, okay. Here's my point. Genre is important. Because with genre, you have expectations. Let's say you're one of those people who um, like to read the Christian Amish romance. I won't ask you to raise your hand, okay? Because <laughs> I'll slightly judge you. It's fine. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, okay, so you know you got you get the you get the, oh, the covers really were great, you know, like uh, it's got this guy with a beard, you know, and and his 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 long lost love and whatever that happens, right? You have some expectations with Christian Amish romance, okay? Uh, so let's just say that you get this new Christian Amish romance book and you open it and you start reading it and it it reads more like this action thriller dystopian horror flick, you know, like horror book. And you're like, what's going on? What is going on? Why is Freddy Krueger in this book? You know, why is Jason in this Christian Amish romance? This does not make any sense. And what do you do with that book? You're like, whoa, this is confusing. I don't know what this dude was thinking or this this lady was thinking when they wrote this. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to write a negative review on Amazon and tell everybody don't read this Christian Amish romance. Okay, it's not good. Right. Because you were expect you were expecting some certain things with the Christian Amish romance book. I don't know what you were thinking, but you were expecting some stuff, right? Nice love story, right? And, and so, like, here's the thing. Genre is important. So you don't read poetry the same way you read a science textbook. Do you? Everyone said no, right? I hope not. I hope. I mean, you're probably like, I don't read poetry. I don't read science textbooks. You know, I'm done, right? Uh, even those of you who are in school, you're like, I don't read the science textbook. I just don't. <laughs> I just avoid it. I get the answers and I'm done. Uh, I don't recommend that, by the way. Uh, and, and so, like, genre is very, very important. So, in, in the third week of this three-week series that we're in, you asked for it. Uh, we are going to address a question that some of you had, many of you had. Uh, and it really wasn't a question that had like much context to it. It was just kind of described like this. So, um, Revelation? Like, the book of, what about the book of Revelation? Like, nothing about the book of Revelation. It's just like, Revelation? Is, can we, can we talk about that? So, okay, just keep in mind, you guys asked for it. So we're going to do it. So if you have a seatbelt, and you have a Bible, you'll want to put the, put those, like, put the seatbelt on, pull the Bible out. I hope you brought a Bible because we're going to need it. Okay. So we are going to work through this book. So, um, again, I think that when we come to the book of Revelation, there's, uh, there's a few camps, uh, some people who just like avoid it and some people who think they got it all figured out. Both are wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's some important points that we need to, to cover before we get into the book of Revelation. Okay. The book of Revelation is, is a combination of three different genres, okay? Three different genres. For those of you who are like starting to glaze over, for those of you who have somebody next to you, just boom, you know, keep them awake. This is going to get interesting. Okay, so here's the three genres of the book of Revelation. It's important so you understand how to read it. So you don't have your mind like just glaze over when you're reading about, you know, beasts and prostitutes and crazy Things with seven heads and crowns and all these kinds of things. Okay, you have to have a little bit of bearings. I know, you like reading Corinthians like, oh, that's pretty straightforward. Romans, pretty straightforward. And Revelation's like, what's going on? Right? Some of you just not even approach Revelation. Okay, all right. Um, so here's three genres. Apocalyptic, prophecy, and letter. These are the genres, okay? So let me go over the two that you are most familiar, most familiar with. Number two is prophecy, okay? So this would be like the book of Isaiah, or what we went through uh, in pre-COVID days. You remember back then? Let's it just it all reminisce. That's great, right? Uh, in Malachi, right? We, we talked about the book of Malachi. I know it feels like seven years ago, right? Um, and, and so like it basically prophecy is where God gives a, a prophet words to say from God to the people. And, and they both foretell and foretell. So they're speaking both to the present reality and to future events. 
right? And so that's what prophecy is. Uh, the expectation is that there's going to be a call to repentance and a call to go back to God because, hey, things are about to happen that are not good and you need to repent and go back to him. A letter is pretty straightforward. Uh, the books like Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, uh, Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, probably a lot of the books that you guys are most used to reading outside of the Gospels are letters. And uh, if you notice, it has a structure, just like we have structures, uh, a structure for letters today, right? Anybody still write letters? It's kind of fun. Like, no one. Okay, awesome. You should do that. It's kind of fun. Uh, but, you know, dear, whatever, and then, hey, here's a greeting, and here's what I'm actually talking about, and let me, you know, salutations, whatever, sincerely, whatever. Um, if you're really holy, blessings, uh, and then you, you close it. It's kind of like an email, you know, like that. But we have rules, and, and there's, there's, there's kind of rules. And so a letter is written to real people at a real time dealing with a real thing. Okay? So that's a genre. The other one, apocalyptic, is a little bit different. Apocalyptic genre is not found in any other spot in the Bible, and it's not found today. It's a very unique thing. Even apocalyptic genre of movies and, and, and books are not in this space. Okay? It's, it's very different. So here's, here's a few things about apocalyptic genre so you can have an understanding and you can impress your friends. See, when John wrote this, he had a lot of the Old Testament in mind. So he, he made actually uh, over 250 ref, re- references and citations to the Old Testament. Uh, but, but apocalyptic genre is, is something that the Jews and Christians between the, the years 200 BC and 280 would have been very familiar with. This, this would have been normal. This would have been like a comedy sitcom for us. Like they would have understood the idea, right? And, and so they would have understood this. But here's the thing: with apocalyptic genre, this was a type of of writing that was from a place of oppression to people who were oppressed. So you have to understand when John writes this book, he is coming from a place of affliction and tribulation and trouble from his own life, writing to people who are dealing with difficulties themselves. Okay. Uh, additionally, apocalyptic genre is is very much visions, dreams, language that is cryptic and symbolic. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff that when we read the visions, when you're reading the book of Revelation, and you're like, "What in the world is that?" Here's the thing: uh, the visions are not to be approached as allegories, meaning like every little detail represents some kind of thing, and you know, half of it's about the the other political party person in charge that you don't like, and you know, they're the Antichrist, which isn't in the book of Revelation, and all this stuff, right? That's not actually what's happening. Uh, Anytime we see a vision in the book of Revelation, it has a point as a whole. We're not looking at all the details and trying to like figure out what all that is. It has a point. Um, and, and oftentimes this apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic genre takes the form of fantasy rather than of reality. So you have to understand, when John is writing this, he is going to, to engage our imaginations. Some of you haven't had your imagina- imaginations engaged for a while. So we need, to, we need to brush off the dust, work off the rust, and think about this. Hey, he is taking us to a place that is far different from where we're used to. He's taken to a, us to a place where he, he just wants us to receive this. See, when they, when they first heard this, when the people uh, who this was written to first heard this, they, they would have had this thing read to them, a whole thing, like a gathering like this, they would have just read it. Because most of the people in that day and age were, were illiterate. They couldn't read. They, they just couldn't. And so they would hear this. They didn't have time to be like, oh, hey, um, what's about the thing with the beast and... 
the hills and, and that. What's, what's that all about? What's that? They would have understood what John is saying in the first century. So let's, let's jump in. You guys, you guys ready? You guys feel like you're comfortable? Okay, strap in your seatbelt. Let's jump into the book of Revelation. Uh, let's do this. Book of Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Let's see who this is written to. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, what did he hear a trumpet? He heard a voice like a trumpet. You guys are tracking me. Good, good. Write on a scroll, which you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay. So John, the apostle John. Is writing this. He is brother. Uh, his, he's writing to his uh, uh, brothers and sisters who are partners in what the affliction, the kingdom, the endurance that are in Christ Jesus. He is dealing with difficulty, so he's not on the island called Patmos as a vacation. He was exiled there because of him preaching about Jesus. So he was destined to spend the rest of his days in exile on this island. And, you know, probably the, the view was pretty good, right? Like, let's be honest. Be, oh, I wouldn't mind being exiled on an island, right? Some of you were saying that. But for those of you who have been around some views, you know after about a week, it's old. It's whatever. You want some people. Like, we all know that. Quarantine, you know, quarantine life. Hey, oh, you're a real person. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, but John was dealing with an affliction. He was, because of his faith in Jesus, get this, because of his faith in Jesus, because he followed Jesus, he was in exile. And this was written around 96, not 1996, but 96, 96 AD. And he's writing to real people in seven churches, which would have been located in modern-day Turkey, or back then, the province of Asia Minor. Okay, So these are real people dealing with real problems, who have real concerns, and need to be encouraged. Okay, The book of Revelation was written to the first century church, not to you. Was it written for you? Yes. Was it written to you? No. So here's a a principle in good Bible reading, Bible study, okay? Before we say, what does this mean to me? How does this impact my life? How, me, 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 me. We have to read the Bible and, and consider what did the author intend to mean when he wrote this? And what would the people who would have received that think about that? And, and what, what does this mean? What did it mean back then? So that we can then translate it to what it means today for us. How do we apply it to our lives? We have to go there before we get to, oh, this is what it means. And it's about, you know, Russia and China and one world government. And uh, it's about, you know, all the other political party. And it's all about that. Okay. Let's not lose our minds when we go to the book of Revelation. Amen. Okay. Some of you are not sure still. (laughs) I've already lost my mind. Uh, I don't know where it is. That's fine. It's all good. I'm there with you. Okay. So let, let me just help us put ourselves in their shoes. Okay. So, well, they're sandals. Okay, they were, they were like wooden sandals. So put your, can you guys strap up your wooden sandals? You guys feel it? Okay. Yeah, it kind of feels weird, right? It's not very comfortable. Okay. So these are people who were in the church and uh, this is what they had experienced. 
their leaders, the people who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, learned from Jesus, the apostles who founded the church and planted churches and, and invested in them. Here's, here's the situation. By this time in history, Peter has been crucified in Rome in the year 66, around there. Paul was beheaded in, in 66 in Rome. Uh, Andrew was crucified. Why? Because he followed Jesus. Uh, Philip was arrested and cruelly put to death. Why? Because he was speaking to uh, a, a person in power about Jesus. Uh, Matthew was stabbed to death. Uh, Thomas was pierced with spears by four different uh, uh, soldiers at the same time. Bartholomew was martyred. James was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god in Persia, because that's where he was ministering, in Persia. Matthias, who replaced Judas, you know, uh, burned to death. Burned at the stake. So think about it. Uh, what's it like to follow Jesus? See, they didn't know anything about a one nation under God. That was not their, their frame of reference. Christianity itself was a, uh, was a small minority of people who were uh, living under oppressive government named Rome. The Roman Empire. And they knew if they gathered in a building like this or in a place like this with other Christians and heard the word of God preached, they could be killed. Imagine this. You go to the marketplace and you want to buy something, but you have to uh, pay homage to a Roman god. Your, your economic situation is difficult. Uh, let's say you want to go to the store. You got to pay homage to a Roman god. Let's say you want to you know, move up in the world in, in, your, in your career. Well, you have to pay homage to a Roman god because that's what your boss worships. That's what the empire demands. When you sing the national anthem, you're worshiping Caesar. Would you sing the national anthem if you, and by so doing, worship the president? Don't answer that. You see, the reality for them was that they lived under an oppressive government and they knew that their faith could cost them their life. And their friends had died. Their leaders had died. And at this moment in time, they knew they could be next. And so John, in exile, the last apostle, writes a letter to these seven churches to try and encourage them. To say, hey, yeah, <laughs> it's looking like a dystopian novel right now. It's gotten bad, it's getting worse, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. But hey, I want to give you some encouragement. John knows the one who has overcome the world, who has overcome evil. And he's saying, hey, keep going. Keep persevering. Keep following Jesus. Because through him, you can have life. So uh, that's, that's just a little bit of an introductory. Um, this was an encouraging word to a discouraged people. So let's go ahead and power walk through the book of Revelation. You guys ready? No, okay, all right. Well, hopefully somebody at home is ready because we're going to do it anyway. Uh, all right, chapters one through three, we are introduced to uh, the kind of main characters of the story. John, the apostle John, uh, Jesus, and these seven churches, okay? So we are, we are introduced to these people. And, and for those of you who have been in church for a while, you probably heard some sermons on the book of Revelation, but it never got past chapter three because in chapters two and three, Jesus is speaking to the churches and like, hey, I know your works. I know your deeds. You've done this well. You've not done this well. You need to repent. You need to follow me. So Jesus is speaking to these churches and at chapter four, he doesn't stop speaking to these churches, okay? But in chapter four and in chapter five, we start to see the heavenly stage be set. 
John is taken from here, down here on the ground, to heaven. And we start to see what is actually happening right now. So that when we deal with difficulties right now, we know who is on the throne. So Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to jump in here. Revelation 4. Verse 1, this is what it says. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard, uh, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded by the throne. He's speaking of his heavenly father, God, who is on the throne. And he has to use these images, these these, uh, analogies to be able to describe the scene of seeing God on his magnificent throne. Verse 8 says this, each of the four living creatures. So you got the the throne of God and then around is 24 elders who have their own thrones. And then there's these four living creatures who are just crazy looking and you should read your Bible because it's crazy stuff. And if you had a Bible with you, just looking right here, you could see the description, but you can do that on your own time. Verse eight, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God, the almighty who was who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So when you're going through difficulty, when you're in the midst of possibly losing your life because of your faith he is saying god is on the throne he has the power he has the plan he has your back so this isn't going to be on the screen but if you keep going revelation chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 just listen to it this is just go back you're you got your first century sandals on you're listening to it verse 8 when he took the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb Who's that? Jesus. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense and which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. That's a beautiful picture. See, Jesus is the one who is able to take the scroll, this thing that no one else could open. And in it, by so doing, we see the reality of what has come and taken place take hold. We see Jesus coming in and being the victor, the one who could open up the keys to heaven and earth, the one who can give us life. And he is the one who deserves all honor, power, and glory. And, get, get this, heaven's going to be such, an, such a beautiful place such a beautiful sight where every people from every language from every background from every nationality from every ethnicity will be present you see the kingdom of god is knows no bounds and people from every place every crevice every corner of this earth will worship him and be in his presence for eternal glory
So Revelation 4 and 5 gives a picture that God is on the throne. 6 and 7, chapters 6 and 7, the drama begins to unfold. We start to see that these these scrolls, these these, uh, things that seal it, are being taken off. And we're starting to see the reality of our lives, the reality of history, that, that there are oppressive governments, there's war, there's famine, there's all kinds of destruction going on. And we as human beings are bringing that on. And he is saying, hey, guess what? This is going to be unleashed. And then in the seal 5, seal number 5, the, the prayers of the martyrs, the people who have been killed because of their faith, are, are crying out to God and saying, Lord, how long until you redeem, uh, until you pay uh, judgment to these people who have killed us? And God's saying, just, just hold on. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then he, he goes on and brings judgment to them. And then in chapters 8 through 11, we see that judgment coming and we see that Christ is the victor. So chapters 8 through 11 really sum up the message of the book of Revelation. So if you've got some time later to read chapters 8 through 11, I would actually recommend you, and this is what I'm recommending you for this week, is read the book of Revelation, all of it, in one sitting, all together. There's no other way to read it. Read it all together. Why? Because when they received this, they power walked through it. Why? Because they heard it being read to them. They didn't have time to get hung up on these little details and all this stuff. Just take it in. Read it and receive it. Look at it as what it is. Pictures of what's happening and what's going to happen. So in chapters 8 through 11, we see uh, John bringing us to a point. Like, imagine you go to the Sistine Chapel. Okay? And, and you walk into the building. It's just amazing. You're like, wow. And you take it all in, right? You're not looking at all the specifics. You're looking at the grand magnificence of this building. You're looking around and you see the big picture. In chapters 8 through 11, we get the big picture of the book of Revelation. And then chapters 12 through 22, we start to see the details of how all that's going to play out. We start to see all the specifics. And again, it's art, it's visions, it's images. And we can say, wow. So in Revelation chapter 12, we see kind of the theological key in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 12. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Uh, Hopefully this has not been boring for you. Uh, Just remember, blame yourself. You asked for it, okay? Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 uh, through 17. This is what it says. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon, on, dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour the child. She gave birth to a son, a male who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth, 
and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because, of, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who, who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. You see, the devil didn't just come down to Georgia. He came down to the earth. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, (laughs) When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times and a half a time. From his mouth the serpents spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened his mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments, commands of God and hold fir- firmly to the testimony about Jesus. So that was a lot, obviously. That was a lot. But what we see here is that there is a battle that goes beyond the people around you. It goes to heaven. It goes to the heavenly realm, to the supernatural realm. And there is a battle between Satan and God. And what we see in Jesus is that when Jesus went to the cross and rose again from the grave, Satan was defeated. See, here's the thing with the book of Revelation we know the end, we know that God wins. I heard one, one preacher say, hey, the, the book of Revelation can be summed up like this. Everyone agrees, no matter where you look at it and how you look at it. Uh, good wins, evil loses. Choose your side and don't be stupid. You see, Jesus wins. But the reality is, why are we still suffering? That's what the people were asking. Why are we still dealing with tribulation? Why are people being killed because of the faith? Why could I be killed because of my faith in Jesus? He's the king. Well, Satan is still here. And his time is short. And he knows it. And he's trying to get you. He's trying to get you to go away from God and say no to God. To oppress you, doing whatever he can to do it. But the the message of the book of Revelation is that the lamb was victorious. And through him, those who were oppressed, those who did not love their lives to the point of death. In other words, those who said, Jesus... I am for you no matter if it costs me my life. Why? Because the people in this world who are being used by Satan, whether it be Rome or whether it be any other nation in the history of the world, they can only take away my life. They cannot take away my soul. And I know that even when I die, I will still be alive because of you. That is the book of Revelation. That is what it says. That is what it is saying to an oppressed people who needed encouragement. So the rest of the book of Revelation to to kind of kind of summarize what it's saying chapters 13 through 14 shows how this vengeance uh, took the form god's judgment took the form of the or satan's judgment take took the form of the roman empire in other words satan used the roman empire to oppress god's people and it identifies that so you're wondering like who's the who's the prostitute who's babylon it's rome it's the roman empire for the first century that was the oppressor it's not the one world government you're fearful of It's not China, it's not Russia, or whatever other thing you think. That's what he's saying. Now, will there be other oppressors? Will there be other oppressive nations? Yes. But his point remains the same. God will deal with them. 
And so uh, chapters 15 through 16 display that that empire and the emperors who lead it are doomed. The people who wrong other people, the people who use their power to subvert justice, the people who are wrong in this world, the people who are evil and who have not had their sin accounted by Jesus are doomed. Chapter 17 through 22 then concludes with the tale of two cities. A city on this earth, Rome, and the city of God, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And we are seeing, we, are, we, we see how uh, one day, uh, the devil, evil, and death, and sin, and all that, and everyone who lines himself up with him, will be thrown into a lake of fire. Done away with. Eternal suffering. See, all the injustice that you see in this world, all the injustice that you experience, anything that you would deal with, all those wrongs will be made right. God will have the final say. So the book of Revelation, uh, here are the keys, things to remember. And I would encourage you this week to actually dig in and read it all the way through. It doesn't take that long. Just do it. Don't, don't, don't get bogged down. Just keep reading. Keep trudging. Keep power walking. You know? Mm. Like you're at the mall. You know? Glenbrook Mall. You know those people? I mean, back in the day when we like, went to the mall. Yeah. Fun times, right? All right. Here are the keys to the book of Revelation. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said it. In this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. But God is on the throne, so keep worshiping him and keep trusting him. Persevere. Evildoers and oppressors will be judged by God. They will. And guess who's evil? Everybody. So it is only through the lamb that we can be conquerors. It is only through the lamb that we can have life for eternity. Because he's the one who paid the price. Satan has been defeated and will be fully dealt with soon. Christ is coming, and so is full renewal, where all that is wrong will be made right. Here's the, the, the declaration of the book of Revelation. Is that today's troubles are temporary because Christ secured the victory. One day, one day, evil and sin and death will be dead. All of those things, better yet, they won't just be dead, they'll be thrown in hell. They'll be dead to us. And we'll be able to enjoy the full presence of God in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth. See, so persevere. So imagine how that would have said, what that would have meant for people who are being oppressed because of their faith. Would that be good news? That God's going to deal with it? That God's got this? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Why? Because, hey, God wants you. Jesus wants you to turn the other cheek, to love people. Vengeance is his. There's no revenge. But Jesus says he's got it. He's got it. So for today, like I heard a preacher say this, what's your 10,000 year plan? What's your 100,000 year plan? Right? You know, like make, maybe make some goals for a year. Make a life, life plan, you know. What's your 10,000 year plan? The studies are in. 100% of us will be dead. Ain't none of us getting out of this thing alive. Except through Jesus, because when we die, we don't stay dead. We actually enter into a full life with him. And so what's your 10,000-year plan? What's your 100,000-year plan? What if, what if we could live today with the end in mind? Have an eschatological perspective on life. What does eschatological mean? The end, the end time. See, the end is now. The end was then. The end is now. Jesus could return at any time. 
Isn't it so funny, like, when the people who, like, read the book of Revelation and, and, like, oh, the Antichrist is this person and this person, and, you know, when they make the calculations, Jesus is going to come back on this day, at this time, you know? Why is it that everyone who makes those calculations always make the calculation as if it's going to be in their lifetime? It's never, like, in 2,000 years, right? Why do the numbers always work out that way? Could it be that us humans think that the universe revolves around us? Jesus said, hey, no one knows the hour. Not even he knows the hour. The Father does. So, so when you read the book of Revelation, don't lose your mind. See it as a book that is for an oppressed people. From someone who is oppressed. Who is dealing with the difficulties of their day. And see that you can be encouraged in it too. Because even if you die for your faith, you will not stay dead. What if we could all get to a point? Where we treated uh, our kids, where we treated our parents, where we treated our grandkids and our grandparents, where we treated our spouse, where we treated our friends, where we treated our difficult coworkers, where we treated the stranger on the street. What if we could treat people with the end in mind that maybe God wants to save them and they have hope beyond this day? What if we could live with the end in mind? See, the book of Revelation is saying, persevere, keep following Jesus, keep worshiping him, keep following him, keep making your life aligned with him. Don't get distracted by the troubles of this day. Keep going. And if it costs your life, then you will reign with Christ one day right next to him. That's okay. If it costs you your life, it's worth it. Why? Because Jesus paid the price so that when you are dead, you do not stay that way. And that church would be a good time to say, amen. So what could that mean for us today? Well, be encouraged because the present troubles are only temporary. And for, for those of you, maybe somebody's in here and you've never surrendered to King Jesus. See, the reality is we know how, the, how this all thing ends. And for those who follow Jesus, it ends really well. And for those who don't follow Jesus, it, it doesn't end well at all. And the reason is because of our sin. Because we have sinned against the Holy God and he has made a way to welcome us into his family. But we also have to respond. So if, if that's you today, I encourage you to Talk to me after service. Set up a time to talk, meet, talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to surrender your whole life to him. And for those of you who have surrendered to him, I want to encourage you, keep going, keep worshiping, keep seeing him as the one who's on the throne. Don't get sidetracked by the, by the, the world and what it's trying to tell you. Follow him, keep going. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and we're going to sing. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the fact that you, uh, in your divine wisdom and glory, have welcomed us into a place where we can receive from you uh, a word that would encourage us in this day and for eternity, for the future of what is to hold. God, we're, we're thankful that you were encouraging the churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, back then, and that we can be encouraged by that very same message. God, help us as we engage with you this week, as we engage in your word. God, would you, would you make a way for us to see your glory, your power, your majesty, and to trust you no matter what comes? God, thank you for being honest with us, for telling us that in this life we will have trouble, because that is what we experience. But God, we're, we're, we're asking you to come. And make those wrong things that we all deal with and that we see in this world to make them right. 
God, help us to stay focused on following you, to loving people like you called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.